may seem counterintuitive to talk about giving more at Christmas because it's a time when we're thinking a lot about giving anyway. Um, giving is definitely on our radar through the month of December and hopefully before. Uh, but today, I want to focus on how, how giving giving more of the right things, like grace, <laughs> to the people around us. Have you ever received a gift you didn't really want? You open it and it's like, okay, this is going to be regifted or <laughs> whatever immediately. A study by Finder.com in 2018 showed that 56% of adults admit to getting an unwanted gift in the year uh, 2018. $13 billion spent on unwanted gifts. Uh, Here's some stats on those gifts. Leading the items most unwanted, 34% were clothes. I remember as as I was a kid, I was like not that excited about clothes. Um, 18% household items. How many husbands have ever made the mistake of buying their wife an iron or something for household items? 16% in cosmetics and fragrances. And who gives the worst gifts? 27% are friends. 16% are parents. Interesting, isn't it? I think we know intuitively that it's a blessing to receive a gift that we really want and need. Have you ever received an incomplete Christmas gift? Maybe a gaming system with no games. Uh, That's a bummer. Or a hot pot with no cord. Or an electric guitar with no amplifier. They just don't quite sound the same. You know, as you strum those. Um, I I bet all of us have received a gift where the batteries weren't included. That's a bummer. You ever remember that as a kid? You know, you you finally get what you want, and it needs four size D batteries. And you're running through the house trying to find those things. And, well, it might have been something like this. Frantic search begins when you can't find the batteries. Here's a cruel joke. Gift not included. <laughs> That's a bummer. Get somebody some batteries and you, you yeah, okay. That's, that's just wrong. In this series, what we've been trying to do is rethink Christmas and focus in on what it's really all about. What we're trying to do is align our Christmas celebration right now with the history of it, with the very first Christmas, what God was doing in that first Christmas, and what he wants to do in our lives today. So that's what we're focusing on. And the first Christmas was a gift from God like no other. God, him, God gave himself completely in the birth of Jesus. That's what was going on. The book of John in the New Testament is a biography written by one of Jesus' closest followers. There are four biographies. They were written to different uh, audiences with different 
groups of people in mind, and they were written for different purposes to accomplish different things. And here's how John starts his eyewitness account of Jesus' life. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John wrote his book for a specific purpose, as I said, and he, he states it at the end in, in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He wrote his book so that people would understand the identity, the real identity of Jesus Christ. They would, they would be able to put the pieces together of who he is, that he is the Savior King, who was promised to come for centuries. That's what I talked about in the first message of this series. And he uses a metaphor here uh, calling Jesus the Word. Now, words are the way people communicate with each other. That's, that's what we have to use to share what's going on in our heart and mind. And... In calling Jesus the Word, John is saying that God's ultimate attempt to communicate with us is stepping into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he's saying. And it's complete. We get the complete picture of who God is in Jesus Christ. In, in fact, he was... In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, meaning that Jesus is God Himself. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word becoming flesh refers to the birth of Jesus Christ at the first Christmas. It's talking about the birth of Jesus. He became flesh. God put on flesh and lived and dwelt among us. This is called the incarnation. God came to earth, put on human flesh, and dwelt among men. In the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He, he did this so we could see and know God and come to experience him personally. That's what God was doing in the first Christmas. God, Jesus didn't just appear as a man. He didn't seem to be a man. He actually, literally took on flesh and blood and moved into our world. There's a major lesson for all Christ followers in this incarnation. If we're going to follow Jesus, to really love people around us, we must be all in and get involved from the heart. We have to be among them. We have to be present with them. We have to go connect with them. John mentions two things about Jesus' character. He is 
full of grace and truth. He was like us in every way, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says. But these are two overarching qualities seen in his attitude, words, actions, and teaching. He was full of grace, which means unmerited favor, mercy, kindness. It all flowed from who he was and who he is. At the same time, he was full of truth. Now, we, we tend to fall upon, you know, fall along a spectrum, you know, of we're just going to be blood-curdling honest or we're going to be gracious. <laughs> Jesus was the perfect blend of both of those, of grace and truth. Je- Jesus gave people the best picture of what God is like. Before Jesus came to earth, people had an in- incomplete picture of God. If pieces of a puzzle are lost or missing, which besides the fact that it drives me it drives you nuts, is you can't see the whole picture if if there's a piece some pieces missing if it hadn't come together. And because God revealed the identity of the Savior King, Progressively, over centuries, people didn't see the whole picture of what God was like until Jesus showed up and showed us. Literally taking on flesh and blood to show us who God is and what he's like. When he came to earth, now we can put the puzzle pieces together. We can see what prophets, what the, the people of the past were talking about when they were preparing the way for the Savior King, who was Jesus Christ. The passage continues, John 1.15, John bore witness about him and cried out, now this is talking about John the Baptist, it's a little confusing because it's not talking about John who wrote the book, it's talking about John the Baptist. Um, But it says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This is kind of like, this is him. This This is the guy I've been talking about. John the Baptist was a prophet that was sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, the Savior King. And... He was born about six months before Jesus was born. They were actually cousins. And so they were very close in age. But it's interesting that John the Baptist says here that he was before me. He preexisted me. He lived. He lived before I did. And what he's basically trying to say is he he ranks much higher than I do because he is God himself. So that's what John the Baptist is communicating. And then the passage continues. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Here we have a picture of an abundant supply of grace. It will never run out. It will never be exhausted. It will never run dry. Now, we're, we're all pretty used to running out of grace for other people around us as we relate to them. Um, okay, that's it. I'm done. That's over. Please stop. But God never runs out of grace. He never does. Here we have a picture of the fact that we have received grace upon grace. And the idea in that phrase is that you go, you go to the well and it never runs dry. It's just bubbling up, pouring over. Whenever you need the grace of God, he is pouring it out on you. And I've experienced that. It's been poured out on us in abundance. And so it should pour over into our family relationships and our friendships as well. To allow us to experience this depth of grace, Jesus stepped into our world. He, He literally gave himself to show God's grace to us and allow us to know God personally which has major implications for the lives of people who follow Jesus Christ. What it means is, Christmas is meaningful when we give ourselves to others. That's how we line up with the first Christmas. We give ourselves to the people. At the first Christmas, God didn't give us more stuff. He he didn't even give us good stuff like work or food or health. He gave us himself. The most priceless and personal gift of all. This means that if we want to celebrate Christmas in a way that aligns with the heart of it, we give ourselves to others. You can't just mail it in. Or stay aloof. You have to give yourself if you want to line up with the first Christmas. That's not what God did. He didn't stay aloof. He didn't detach from the people around him. No, he he stepped into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was among us. Showing us who he is and what he's like. I like the Babylon Bee. It's a satirical website that deals with Christian stuff. Um, And they posted this sometime in the last couple of weeks. Wise men actually just sent gifts using free prime shipping, scholars now believe. Now, they said this because that's absurd. I mean, really, that's absurd. They can't just mail it in. It loses all of its meaning and significance. In fact, in a major way, it loses its significance 
If they just sent the gifts with prime shipping, you can't worship from afar. You, you need to be present to worship. And we need to be present to show God's grace to the people around us. We need to be with them, right among them. That's what's happening in the first Christmas, in the Incarnation. Our presence is important, and it is hopefully a blessing for the people we're present with. One man says, Jesus moved into our neighborhood in an act of humble love, the likes of which the world has never known. That is really well said. And in light of the incarnation, here are some suggestions to put on your list of gifts of grace to give this Christmas. Each of the gifts on this list Cause us to give ourselves to others to a small or large degree to engage and be involved uh, with the people in our lives. And in the carnation, that's what Jesus showed us to do. He, he showed us to be there for the people that God puts you around. We're going to love them. We can't mail it in. I was reading a book last week that said, because of the incarnation, the infinite God becomes more tangible, more approachable, and more, though never completely, comprehensible. We can never completely understand all there is to understand about God. There's mystery there. But Jesus shows us who God is in a very tangible approachable way. Now, it, it takes emotional energy to give the way Jesus gave, to pour out grace the way he did. And me, for one, I have to keep choosing against wanting to withhold the gifts because I don't deem certain people worthy of it in the moment or ever. But I, I bet you struggle with that too. I bet you keep wanting to choose to withhold the gifts that should be given. But here are the gifts of grace to give this Christmas. First of all, patient and gracious speech. We're going to have many conversations over the next few weeks with all kinds of people. Uh, even with some who may irritate and annoy us. Uh, you and I will see family members we don't. Maybe we don't see that often. Uh, extended family, you might go to parties with co coworkers who flat out bug you. Um, and friends who may have disappointed you in some way. The conversations you have will leave an impression on the people you talk with. And if we're going to line up with the first Christmas, we need to engage in those conversations. And the aroma of the, the conversations will be pleasant like that of Christmas cookies baking or not so much. <laughs> that's, that's our two choices. Pleasant aroma or not so pleasant. Unpleasant aroma. The conversations we have are going to be uh, 
creating an atmosphere, an aroma. It'll be pleasing or not. Christ followers are given a standard for these conversations. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Conversations that give grace require patience and consideration. We've got to think about what we're going to say. And we shouldn't just let words fly, no matter how bothered we are in the moment. Even when people are irritating or insulting us, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Great gift to give people around you this Christmas is patient and gracious speech. Second gift is a good attitude versus a rotten attitude, a sour attitude. Your words flow from your attitude toward others, and an attitude is a mental angle of approach toward a person or a project or a thing. And here's the attitude Christ followers are commanded to take. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is a very high standard. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. The advantage of the, of the incarnation is that we can see Jesus' attitude toward people. We can see how he related to the people around him as he lived his life. And Christ followers must aim to have the same attitude that he did. A bad attitude flows from a, a, a focus on ourselves and what we should be getting out of the conversation or out of the relationship or out of the out of the interaction with other people, out of what we should be getting, what we deserve. Notice that Jesus was God. He's God himself, but he didn't demand to be treated like God. He humbled himself. He took, he, he, even though he's in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, it's, it's easy to get cynical in situations and think, oh, boy. You know, you're in a conversation, you're relating somebody, and they start to do or say what they've always done. Oh, here we go again. Oh, boy. You know, here, here we go again. They always tell those boring, self-occupied stories or fill in the blank of whatever annoys you about the person. We need to think the best of people that we're relating to. Jesus did. And I'm amazed at how much grace he pours out to me every day. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, set out to serve. So the last part of verse 7 says, But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And this brings us to the next gift, the third gift of grace we can give, which is kindness that meets needs. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. In general, 
you know, they're general ways to show kindness. It mean, could mean giving to those in need, donating to help someone, or giving to the CIV Christmas offering uh, that blesses ministries that show kindness to others. But one shade of meaning of kindness is the word actually means to make yourself useful for other people. You set out to meet the needs of the people you're with right there around you. This means that a good gift of grace is to help do the practical things at the parties you're going to. Help clean up, help set up. Or the family celebration. You know, you're, you're engaged. Take out the trash. You do whatever is helpful. You serve others by meeting practical needs. It might mean writing a thoughtful note of appreciation to someone that shows how much you value them and their friendship. So you're writing a note. Notice the passage says that we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted. That word literally means inner parts. To show kindness, you can't stay aloof. You have to engage. You, your insides have to get involved. That's what it's saying. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. We can't just mail it in if we want to do what Jesus did. If we're following Jesus and we're relating to the people around us that the, the way that he related to people in his day and the way that pleases him now... We have to engage. Our insides need to get involved. Kindness flows from a a tender heart, and it leads to uh, the, the last gift of grace, forgiveness, like Jesus gives. Last half of Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness has been given to Christ followers by the God who made us. And he wants that same forgiveness to flow through us to others. This means that we have to get our heart involved. We, we, we have to work through the hurts, the pain, the bitterness. And the interesting thing about giving forgiveness is that it really blesses you because you get out of the prison of bitterness and resentment that you're locked into. As I wrap up up this message, take some time to pray over and think through the gifts of grace that you can give this Christmas. As the Lord nudged you this morning, as he's spoken to you about giving one of these patient and gracious speech, A good attitude, kindness that meets needs, forgiveness like Jesus gives. I'd like to ask you to consider some next steps as I wrap up the message. Uh, Here are some suggestions. Just First of all, uh, my next step today is to give this gift of grace this week. And maybe God spoke to you about one of the gifts I was walking through there. Just circle that gift. They're listed on your listening guide, on the back of the, the listening guide, patient and gracious speech, a gracious attitude, or a good attitude, kindness, or forgiveness.
What has God said to you this morning? And then I'd like to encourage you to attend next week's Christmas service and invite someone to come with you. Love to see you back here. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness. Thank you, God, for stepping into our world so that we could know who you are and we could get the complete picture. Thank you for giving yourself, Lord Jesus, the way that you have so that we could know you and so that we could walk with you personally and experience life the way it was meant to be experienced, the way you created us to experience it, God. Thank you, God. I pray that you would help us to have the strength and the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take as a result of this message. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.